cross. He's been crucified. He was taken down. He was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, but that only held him for three days and three nights, and then he arose again. He arose from the dead by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, and he was among us in a resurrected body for about another 40 days. And during that time, he was sharing many wonderful things with his disciples, and he was appearing to a lot of people. Acts chapter 1, we was there a couple of weeks ago talking about mission possible. And it was there that he was taken up, and he told them to wait in Jerusalem. And he ascended up through the clouds, and they were standing there, and they were watching as he was going. They were staring so intently that they didn't even realize that two men in white apparel had just appeared beside of them. And they said, hey, you men of Galilee, why are you staring up into heaven after this one that you just seen go? Because there's going to come a time when the way that you just saw him go, that he's going to come back again. And he's going to see you. Then... They were doing what he told them to do. They were in Jerusalem waiting for that gift of the Holy Spirit to come. And then on the day of Pentecost it did. There was a loud boom. Everybody came running out into the streets. What's going on? What's happening? What was that sound? Heard folks say that it might have been like a sonic boom as... The Spirit broke the sound barrier and made the sound come through to get everybody's attention. And they all came out. And Peter preached there that first gospel sermon. And he went through and says, What you are seeing is that from God that he's promised from long ago. And whenever he explained to him that this Jesus that you crucified... No, it wasn't Judas who betrayed him. It wasn't Pilate who betrayed him. It was you. You all stood out there and said, crucify him, crucify him, when Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And this Jesus that you crucified, God has now made both Lord and Christ. And they had a great question. They said, what shall we do? And that's a question that, If you're not a Christian, ought to be on your heart today. What shall I do? We're going to talk about that a little bit. But they asked, what shall we do? And Peter told them to repent. And I've heard people explain. I've I've sat and listened to lessons where they said that repent is to be walking this way and do a 180 and begin walking this way in your life to change. That's not repent. Repent is a word called meta-naeo, and meta is a transformation, a change, just like a butterfly goes through a metamorphosis. And a meta-naeo is a change of thinking. You see, the Jews would not believe that Jesus was the Christ. They couldn't accept that. And now they were beginning to see, and he said, what you need to do is change your mind, change your way of thinking. Change from that this was not the Christ to that this is the Christ. And be baptized then with this change of thought, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And you will also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is to each of you. 
It's to your children, and it's to all who are afar off. That's us. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with that message, it says that those who received the message of Peter, that that day there were 3,000 souls added to the body of Christ. And then we get to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 where it gives us an example of a growing church. This body of Christ that began on that day of Pentecost, there's four things that it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 that constitute a vibrant, growing, loving church. And it says there that they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and a prayer. Those are four things that makes a church grow, it makes it vibrant, and it makes it what God wants it to be. Let's start looking at a couple of those before we get to Acts chapter 3. Like I said, we're going to take a scenic route going there. Okay. Devoted to the apostles' teaching. Do you know that we still have that today? That's the word that you're holding in your hand because Peter told us that God moved the holy men of old to speak these things through the Holy Spirit and they were recorded for us. And so this is what we have in the epistles was written by who? The apostles. The apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. I'm writing to you. So we have today the teachings that they were told to be devoted to. They devoted themselves to the word of God. Then it was fellowship. That's you and I gathering together. And not only on Sunday morning. Because the more we can gather together through the week and have fellowship, the stronger the bond will be. Fellowship is a key and it's a big bond. And I urge you to make friends and have fellowship among those who are of like precious faith. And that will help you in your walk of life through the week. And then we come together for the fellowship in the word of God being devoted to the apostles' doctrine. And then it says to the breaking of bread. And in the original, there's a definite article in front of bread. It's the bread. The bread. Breaking of the bread. Guess who that is? Jesus Christ. He is the bread bread of life and so that represents fellowship with him we call it communion it's two words common union we have a common thing that binds us together in union and that is the breaking of the bread of life that he has given us and we do that each sunday as we gather together and then it says in prayer and i looked up that word prayer and it says that it's a exchange of ideas And thoughts to each other. And I got to thinking. Most of the time my prayer is just me talking to God. But if I go to a store to exchange a shirt because it was too small. Because the hot water got to it. Not because I'm growing. But I take it there to exchange it. I leave them something and say I'm going to go back and get the next size up. And then I get that and I take that with me. So I have left something, but then I take something back as well. 
So prayer is an exchange with God. My thoughts and my petitions and my ideas to Him. But I need to also be listening back for what He's wanting to try to tell me through those prayers that I'm offering. There's something He's got to say to me too. And most of the time I deliver them up and I walk off and I don't take the time to listen. But if we get in tune with God, we will see that He's answering prayers all the time. It might be in His way. And His way might be no on this one. And it might be sometime later on my next one. And then another one, it might be, yeah, this is the right time. But I need to listen to those prayers and that exchange. And you know, I don't always know how or what I'm supposed to pray for or about. So it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 that I don't know what to pray for or how to pray. So the Spirit of God joins in with my spirit to help me in those prayers and sometimes makes groans and utterances that I don't even know about. But God does because He's helping. So when I look at that verse of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42... I see nothing but fellowship all the way through it. I see fellowship with the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. I see fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I see fellowship together with the bread of life, my Savior, Jesus. And then there's fellowship with God, with the Holy Spirit, with my spirit. So we have the entire Godhead, the Word of God, and those of like faith that we have constant, devoted fellowship with. And if we will do that, we will become a vibrant, a growing entity that other folks want to be a part of. But most of the time, it just seems like there's obstacles. I get beat down. I get things tossed in my way. There's road bumps and there's Things And I want to throw in the towel and say I give. And then it says, no, come back to this cycle. Come back to the word to stand on the promises. Come back to folks who've been through the same thing that you have and discuss that with them and have fellowship with that. Have communion with Christ, knowing what he's done for us. And then in prayer, you can become stronger and get over all of that. And then... We see after Acts 2 and 42 what the church is supposed to become as a vibrant body of Christ. We had another thing that was given to us as they're getting ready to be the church in action. In Acts chapter 3, we're going to see this body of Christ that was born on Pentecost move into action. As we do, we see also that Jesus told us what we're supposed to do. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them, here's your devotion to the Word, to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always even to the very end of the age. And I apologize if every word isn't like that because I'm in the the King James 
when I quote things, but I'm giving it to you in the NIV, so sometimes there will be some changes. But the thing is, devote yourself to the Word, to teaching others and making disciples, and that's what the church in action is getting ready to do then. We are going in Acts chapter 3 now, if you're there gathered with me. Let's read the first ten verses together. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. And a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate that's called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those that were going in to the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. So the man gave his attention, expecting to get something from them. And Peter said, silver or gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong and he jumped And he began to walk, and when he went into the temple courts, walking, jumping, praising God, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the temple gate that's called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. An amazing story. An amazing story. Let's talk about this a little bit, but before we do, let's just see what we're supposed to see through this let's go to God in prayer and ask him what we should learn father thank you for the reading of your word your holy and divine word that lives and abides forever and father it's God breathed and it says it's profitable to us for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction and righteousness that the man of God might be perfect thoroughly furnished unto every good work we are told that we only understand your word and what you want for us through your spirit. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Father, and we believe that. And we believe that there's a message today from this section of scripture that you want us to know about. So we ask that you would allow our hearts, our minds, our ears, and our eyes to be open and attentive as this man was. And we also expect to receive something, Father. We expect to receive from you a message that's going to help us in this life and father may we see it may we understand it and may we be challenged to do it in jesus name we pray amen what should we see peter and john were going to the temple at the hour of prayer they had normally three times of prayer that was the jewish cycle it was at 9 a.m. at noon and at 3. And the one at 3 is the one that they're getting ready to go into the temple area now. This usually was followed by the evening sacrifice. So, this man is sitting at the gate. Peter and John are going in. They're doing what Jesus told them to do. They're going to go in there and they're going to have fellowship. They're going to have um, the prayer They're going to be talking with people. They're going to be studying the Word of God. So they are being devoted to what they were supposed to be doing. And as they go in to pray, they said they enter at a gate that's called Beautiful. And what we know about this gate 
comes from a historian named Josephus. Josephus, we can put some bearing on what he says because he was an historian at the time of Jesus and wrote about things at that time. And he was not a Christian, so he was unbiased on what he wrote. He didn't have a persuasion to slant something in the Christian realm. And he says that these gates that are called beautiful was 75 feet tall. It was 60 feet wide. And they were made of solid Corinthian brass. And you say, Corinthian brass, why that? Because it was the most valuable metal at that time. You see, I thought gold was, and then silver. Well, whenever we were studying through 1 Corinthians on Wednesday night, and we came to chapter 13, the love chapter, and it says that if I don't have love, that I become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So we did a word study on that sounding brass. What does that mean? And it said that Corinthian brass, that they had devised a way to take gold and silver and some copper and some different things and form a metal that was beautiful. And since they were the only ones that produced this, that's why it was called Corinthian brass, it was rare. And that made this beautiful metal that was rare more valuable when it made something than gold because gold was not quite as rare as it was. There's hardly anything left today of Corinthian brass. So this was the most precious metal at the time that was valuable. The gates were so heavy that Josephus said that it took 20 men to open it and close it each day. Big, beautiful gate. They're entering in, getting ready to worship God. And then there's a man that's laying at the gate. As they approached, he called out to them asking for some alms. Peter did something dramatic. He stops and he waits and he fixes his gaze upon the man, it says. That's the same word that's described when they're looking at Jesus going into the clouds that we talked about just a minute ago and their gaze was so intent that they didn't even realize that the two men in white were beside of them. And they fixed the gaze upon that man And the man underneath that gaze must have kind of looked down or looked sideways because Peter then says to him, Look at us! He needed to get the man's attention. Now, if you've got a message to give, you've got to have their attention. It doesn't do no good to give a message without somebody's attention. And he said, Look at us! And the man, it says in verse 4, there gave his attention to them. Look at us. It was a command, and he wanted them to look. And then it says that he was expecting to receive something from them. And you think, why? Why is he expecting then? Because, first of all, he's got a prime location here at the gate because everybody's coming in to worship God. And if you're coming in at the hour of prayer, just think about it. If I want my prayer answered... And somebody's needing something at the gate, I can give them two bits and go in, and then I feel good about myself whenever I go in to pray. And I can say, and God, I just helped the guy there. Won't you help me? So 
he's in a prime location because if somebody is sitting outside of, say, your work, you're probably not in the same mindset to give as to going to worship. So he's expecting because people's hearts are more turned towards that as they go to worship. But also it's because Peter said, look on us. He's making a big deal out of it. What did Jesus say that the scribes and the Pharisees and those people liked to do whenever they was going to give their alms? They wanted to call attention to themselves. Some of them blew trumpets announcing what they were getting ready to do because it made them feel good, made them feel righteous that people would see them giving a big donation. So whenever he said, look on us, and drew the attention of everybody around, this man's thinking, jackpot. They're getting ready to give me a big donation because they want to appear righteous. And so he's now looking upon them thinking, I'm going to get some jingle in my pocket. I'm going to have a good supper tonight. I'm going to be able to get some new threads because these rags just aren't doing it. And maybe I can purchase shelter for a little bit more time. That's what the man was thinking. He's looking and expecting to receive something. How do you think he felt whenever in verse 6, Peter says, Silver and gold have I none. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Silver and gold you have none? Then why are you making a big deal and telling me to look at you? Why are you turning this into a show if silver and gold you have none? It's because... Two bits, a meal, some clothes, shelter, folks, is details of life. They're just details. You break it all down and it's just a detail of life. What that man really needed was to know about Jesus Christ as his Savior. So he needed somebody to take the time to stop and share a message with him and not just pass him some jingle as they go on in and not take notice of him. So he looks up and Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I'm going to give to you. And he says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up, walk. Well, it says, I think, by faith, that this man was able to get up and walk. And you say, why do you think it was by faith? Well, I read ahead. If you look down there in verse 16, it says that by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. And it's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed this man, as you can see. So, as I've studied this almost Everyone thinks that this is Peter's faith, that it's always the message of the one who is giving it and who has the faith that causes the strength to come to this man and nothing on his own. But as I was preparing this lesson and as I was sitting there meditating on it, I got a different message, totally opposite. So I'm hoping that while there's probably some truth in what the other folks are saying, 
I'm hoping that there's some truth in the message that I received as well. Because what I got was this man. It says, if you will look over that text, it says that this man was continually laid at the gate. It says every day, day by day. Next chapter, it says he is over 40 years of age. To have a prime location like that, he's been there for a long time. He's been there a very long time, sitting at the gate. Never going in, mind you, because of his condition, but he's sitting at the gate. And he's seen a lot of things. Like 18 years ago, when I was 22... There was a young boy named Jesus, 12 years of age. His family had came here to worship at the feast, but they left and he wasn't with them. And for three days he spent here with the teachers of the law. I saw when they left, they were saying, where have you been? Why did you do this? And as they were leaving out of town, he said, didn't you know? That I've got to be about my father's business? Caused the man at the gate to think, who's his father? Is he, is he referring to God as his father? And then as time went by, all of a sudden this name rang a bell again because people came in and said, there's a man named Jesus who just turned water to wine in Cana of Galilee and the temple gate was buzzing with the people talking about this miracle and then word because you see that's the temple gate that's everybody talking going in and out and he's listening and he hears no one's paying attention to him but he's defined the art of watching other people because they don't pay attention to him and so he's sitting there when they talk about the casting out of demons in the synagogue all of the people bringing everyone to him so that he would lay their hands on him. And then the man sitting there at the gate, as Peter has reached his hand of invitation out to the man, saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, arise. And as this man is looking at that and listening to that invitation, he's thinking about that name. And how that it was about three years ago I was sitting at this very gate, and all of a sudden I heard a crash, I heard stuff jingling everywhere, people running out while the commotion, and I'm stopping them asking, what's going on in there? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth just turned over the money changers' tables, coins went flying everywhere, and he grabbed a whip, and he's chasing them around saying, don't make my father's house a den of thieves. Isn't that the one that said he was about his father's business? Now he's talking about his father's house. And what about a little bit later? When I'm sitting here and I see this man stand before the menorah, the big candelabra that is the symbol of Judaism, and the lights that would light up the night over Jerusalem. And this one said, I am the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. How about the lepers that came back in? You know, whenever a leper was cleansed, they had to go to the priest to get checked off that they were now healed and then marked out of the book of the lepers that they had marked them in that they were a leper and told them to stay away. 
he's seen them come marching in to the priests to be cleansed and given the full right of cleansing. Who did it? Jesus of Nazareth. Really? And then the man sitting there, he heard about the guy at the pool of Bethesda. For 38 years, he had been sitting there. I've been here a little over 40. Maybe one day he will come my way. But that didn't happen. Because Jesus was crucified before that. But before that, he was listening to the stories of 5,000 fed. How many of those? That was just men, let alone women and children. How many of those were coming through the temple gate talking about five loaves and two fishes feeding 5,000 men plus women and children? He keeps hearing at the gate about this man called Jesus Christ, but nobody will stop long enough to talk to me about him. He needed compassion. He needed the message, but nobody would stop. They would just flip a coin and keep on going. The leaders, he found out, hated this man. He heard the leaders when they would leave after people was over, how they wanted to plot to kill him because of what he was doing. And then he heard that they had taken him before Pilate. And Pilate had said five times, I find no fault in this man. But they continued to say, crucify him, crucify him. He said, what about Barabbas? He said, no, give us Jesus, crucify him. Give us Barabbas free. The man sat there at the gate that day when he saw a cross and a contingent going up a hill called Golgotha. And the one who was bearing the cross and fell beneath its weight, he couldn't recognize by sight because he had been beaten and he had been scourged and he had been pummeled for your sins and mine. They told him that that was Jesus. And then he is sitting at that very gate called Beautiful when at 12 noon that day, darkness, a supernatural darkness in the full light of the sun came and he said it was a darkness that I couldn't even see my hand in front of my face and I heard a screaming that sounded like Eloi, Eloi lama sabachthani my God, my God why hast thou forsaken me? And in that darkness that lasted for three hours that was at 12 o'clock what was the second hour of prayer? Where do you think everybody was? They were in that courtyard of the temple area waiting to pray to God while the Son of God was being crucified upon a cross. And a darkness came and they had to stand there for three hours until the third time that the prayer was supposed to be offered up at three o'clock. And then the sun shined its face again and came out. But a few seconds later, The earth shook. Things happened. Screams came from the inner courtyard and people began running out. And he's saying, what is going on? And they said, the temple veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of us has been rent from the top to the bottom. And the holy place is exposed to the world. The man was sitting at the gate that day because every day 
he was laying there and seeing what was going on in the world. And then he heard about that Jesus being placed in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, but it only held him for three days and three nights. And then on that first day of the week, as they laid him at the gate, he's hearing people come in saying the stone was rolled away and that it didn't hold him. And his disciples are saying that they have saw him, that he's came back. And then... Fifty days later on the day of Pentecost, he was at that gate when that sonic boom came. And people rushed to the streets to find out what was going on. So when they came to the temple that day at the twelfth hour to pray, he said, what happened? And they said, the disciples of that one called Jesus were teaching and said that this same Jesus that we crucified that we saw in here all of these times is now Lord and Christ. And the man at the gate wanted to talk to somebody about it, but no one would take the time to do it. But now, a few days later, you've got Peter and John going at the hour of prayer, and this man sits there and asks for an alms. And Peter stares intently upon him, And he says, this is the man. This is the man that God wants us to talk to because no one has told him about Jesus. And yet I think he is going to believe. He has sat there every day and heard everything, but no one stopped. And so when Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold, have I none? But what I have, I'm going to give to you. And he reaches out his right hand. And says, in the name of Jesus, get up. I think that all of these things swirled around in that man's mind. And he knew about Jesus. And he had been waiting for so long for someone to tell him about him. And just take the time to stop and talk to me. So he reached up with that right hand and grabbed a hold of Peter's and accepted that invitation to Christ Jesus. And immediately, he bounced up. You don't have the ability to support yourself. Oh yeah, you know why? He's been recreated. He's been recreated a new creature Everything new and now he could leap and run. He is a brand new creature. You know what this man at the gate represents? It represents you and I standing outside without Christ. He, he knew about Christ, but he didn't have Christ. And so I'm told in Romans chapter 6 that what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin so that God's grace may abound, God forbid. How can we who have died to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that as many of you as have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we come out of those waters to walk in a newness of life, a new creation. 
That man represents that new creation when you find Christ Jesus. And it represents that act of faith in him. The man had never been able to go and worship in the temple because of the condition he was in. The first thing he did was to jump up and go running into the temple praising God. And that's what you and I do once we've received Christ Jesus. We go in there to praise Him. So if you are here today and you are not in Christ Jesus, I hope that the right hand of fellowship has been extended just as it was to that man that you would become a part of the body of Christ. If you are already a part of the body of Christ, then I would pray that we leave from here doing those four things. Let's abide in the Word as the body. Let's abide in fellowship with each other as the body of Christ. Let's abide with our Lord and Savior and commune in every first day of the week and commune with Him. Let's abide in prayer for God, not only on our things, but for each other. For each other and for our country and for our world and for our community and for everybody else. But most of all, I would pray what we would take from here is today too, that there's a lot of folks that are sitting at the gate that don't know Christ. They know about Him, but they don't really know. And you know why? No one took the time to stop from their busy walk of life going into temple thinking I'm worshiping God when the best thing you could have done was to stop to that person right there that was in need and say, I don't have silver, I don't have gold, but I do know what you really need. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And if we will do that, you won't know how many souls will be saved from the eternal fires of hell. Let's pray. Uh, Father, this is a challenging message because it's telling me to come out of my comfort zone and my walk of life and just going to and fro the way I want to do. And it tells me to stop. And it tells me to look around. And it tells me that there's a lot of folks that are hurting. There's a lot of folks that are lying at the gate, and they are needing somebody to love them, to share with them, to tell them about your son, because everything else in life is a detail. It's just a detail of life. What we really need is your son. So, Father, challenge me to stop and to take a moment to look around at who's watching and who's in need and to give them what they really need, Jesus Christ our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, come on up.